evening. How's everyone doing tonight? I hope you're doing well. Glad to see you tonight. Appreciate so much you being here. I want to begin tonight by just saying a few words of thanks. I want to thank the Dean Road congregation for, uh, for having this uh, tonight and, and tomorrow. Appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. I appreciate Scott for giving me a call and uh, asking me to be a part of this. I appreciate the elders again for also allowing uh, myself and family to be here as well and for your hospitality. And, and I know I'll go ahead and say thank you in advance for the food because I've been a member of the church. Well, I grew up in the church and became a member back, I guess it's been uh, a, little, a little less than uh, 30 years ago. But I've been around long enough to know how people in the church cook and it's good. I've never been disappointed. So I know I won't tonight, but uh, thank you so much uh, for all those things. And I hope that our study together tonight will be one that's beneficial and helpful to you. And in, uh, in, in, in what we're looking at here, the theme for, for what we're looking at, not only tonight, but also tomorrow as well, is the idea of being servants. And we want to think and focus our minds together on being servants. And certainly that's what God wants us to be, expects us to be in this life. And so tonight we're going to do that. And we want to specifically focus in on the idea of serving as Jesus. And so if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to part there here in just a little bit as we get going tonight in our lesson. Philippians chapter 2. Serving as Jesus. Have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? You ever watch this show? It comes on television. Maybe you've seen it before. It's been on for, uh, for several years now. In fact, I don't know if they've got another season coming out or not, but it's always an interesting show to be able to watch. In fact, there's a few channels that, that'll show reruns from time to time of this particular show. And if there's ever a day where uh, I've not got anything going on and I see that it's on, I usually will stop to watch it unless I've seen it before. But it's a very interesting show and it's a, it's a very neat concept, I think, behind the show there. If you're familiar with it or if you've watched it before, or maybe if you haven't watched this show before, but the show Undercover Boss is a show that basically takes the, the CEO or the president or some head of a big company or corporation. And usually it's a person that, you know, serves in, in that role. And I know that there's a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that goes on at that level. But oftentimes the person who serves at that level uh, doesn't spend a lot of time with what we would call maybe the, uh, the bottom rung of the ladder employees. They're usually up in the office and they usually, when they have meetings, they're meeting with, with managers and, and, and other people who are uh, serving in, in high, as higher ups in the company. And so what this show does is it takes that, that CEO, that president, that head of that company, and they take this individual and they'll disguise them and they'll send them into their own company, their own business, usually at entry level positions. And so they, 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 they take them and they'll, they'll change their hairstyle. Maybe they'll give them some facial hair that's fake or, or they'll do something. They'll dye their hair and they'll do something to change their appearance so that the people that work there at the company won't realize who it is. And the individual goes into the company and, and, and whatever job they go in to work at, uh, they're usually being trained. But the idea there is for this person to come in and, and just to give you kind of an idea of how that transformation works, uh, there, here's a picture of one in particular there. The one on the left, of course, would be uh, before uh, as a CEO. But you can see the idea here, though. And uh, the, the, the picture on the left is, is uh, uh, the man as he's serving as CEO. And on the right is him in his, his disguise. Another idea or picture there that you might see. Uh, uh, and this kind of shows you the before and after of the transformation that takes place. As I mentioned there, they come in as this entry-level employee, and, and they learn what it's like to be an employee. They learn what their employees go through, uh, maybe some of the, the, the problems and the issues that these employees face, and some things perhaps that need to be addressed that maybe they didn't know about, that they weren't aware about. And they also learn about what perhaps in their company can be fixed or can be improved. 
And I would submit that it was, it's a very good idea and it's a very good thing for these CEOs, these presidents, these, these bosses, if you will, to be able to come down and to be a part uh, and watch and see what goes on, even at some of these entry-level positions in the company or the business that they are they're running. And so there's a lot of good that can come from the boss, so to speak, spending time with employees of the company as well as getting involved with the, the work there. Back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see around us, everything that was made, was made by someone. And that someone, of course, was God through Christ Jesus that we read about in John chapter 1. And there we read about God and the creation that He made. The Bible tells us that each day as God created different things in different parts of this world, that every day that He created that, He looked at it and He said that it was good. And the Bible tells us that finally God, and, and, and he, he finally there towards the end of day six, he created man. And after God had created all these things, the Bible tells us that he looked back upon that and he said that everything that he saw that he looked upon was, was very good. And then in Genesis chapter two and three, we read about the fact that God had placed man Adam and also his wife Eve, and he placed them there in the garden. And as he placed them there in the garden, he really only told them one specific thing, and that was one thing that they were not to do. That one specific command that he gave them to do, and that was of all the trees there in that garden, they could eat except for one. And so the Bible tells us that when we read in Genesis chapter 3, that one command that they had, that one command that God gave them, it was a command that sadly enough was broken. It didn't take long for man to fall. And we read there that even though that happened, that God certainly had a plan. That God had a plan that He was going to send His Son, God in the flesh. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. However, if you were to read about that during that particular time, well before Jesus came, you wouldn't quite understand perhaps maybe what God was saying there. But we have the benefit of knowing hereafter, because we've come after all these things, of knowing exactly what God was talking about and realizing and understanding the plan that God had. But certainly that plan was something that God had all the way back in the very beginning. And as we read forward in the Old Testament there, as we go forward even in the book of Genesis, when we come to chapter 12, we read there that God reveals a little more of that plan. God tells Abraham that he's going to bless the entire earth through him. But God continued to give his law. He continued to give his instruction to mankind. And so as we go forward, not just in the book of Genesis, but as we, as we move forward there in the Old Testament, we see that. In fact, the greatest portion of God's law came through, through Moses. And we read about this in the book of Exodus. But notice when you go through and you read the law that was given to Moses there and the children of Israel, when you look and you notice there the law that was given, you will see and understand that God was very detailed in what He expected of His people. God didn't just throw a few general rules out there and just leave it be. God was very specific in a lot of areas and a lot of things that He expected them to do. And so we might argue there that God, what God told them to do, He was very clear about. There, there would have been no misunderstanding exactly what God wanted and what He expected of His people, the Israelites. And so we read about this as we move through the Old Testament. We see here that God had given them this law, these rules to live by. But yet, as we, as we read through and as we see, the Bible reveals to us that the children of Israel had a very difficult time doing these things. They weren't quite who God wanted them to be. They weren't living as God had asked them to live. And God had leaders who would try to lead them, who would try to set that example. But there was even the leaders oftentimes that, that failed at this as well. We think about great leaders such as Moses. And Moses was a wonderful leader, someone who we read about in the Bible. But we know that Moses also was not a perfect man. We realize that Moses, through his own sinfulness, 
was not able to enter into the promised land, although God allowed him to see it before he died. We think about men like Joshua who, who brought the children of Israel into the promised land and led them to battle and, and many, many victories there. But as you move into the book of Judges, you'll see there that as we get into the book of Judges, here we see that children of Israel once again were straying from doing what God had asked them to do. Over and over again, the children of Israel failed to be who God wanted them to be. Even though his instructions were clear, even though the law and the word that God presented through Moses was something that was easily understood, exactly what God expected of them, yet the Bible tells us that they did not live up to that. Even we get into the period of the kings, we see great men like David, and certainly David was one who was very unique. And the Bible tells us about David. But even though David was, for the most part, overall, a very good king, we know that as the, those that came after him were not such. In fact, it was his son Solomon who, when he became king, uh, he was the one who, as, as the Bible tells us, and you remember, he loved many foreign women. And the Bible says that they pulled his heart away from God. And because he loved them, he also loved and served the idols that they worshipped and served as well. And so again, man, over and over again, and then we, we understand that after Solomon passed on, that that's when the kingdom was divided. And then we have this divided kingdom. And there was Israel to the north, and there was Judah to the south. And Israel, in, in their time after that, after the kingdom split, they never had a good king. Not once. They, they continued in wickedness. And again, even though God's law and commands to them were very specific and detailed, they could not seem to do what God wanted them to do, to be who God wanted them to be. Judah struggled just as much. They had a few good kings mixed in here and there, but overall they were, they were as well those who were rebellious, who did not follow God's word. Eventually captivity came, and, and, and we read that throughout the Old Testament. But there came a point in time where enough was enough, and God realized that it was time. It was time for Him to fulfill the promise that He made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And we read about that, we understand that now finally it was that He was going to, do, to follow through with that plan. And that plan was simply this that He was going to send His Son, His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to take on flesh in this life. And certainly He was a Son that would come, and He would not come under cover, you see, but He was one who would reveal Himself. Now the question may be asked, why? Why would God send His Son in the flesh? I think certainly at the top of that list was the fact that Jesus was come to save you and I by dying in our stead by shedding His blood on the cross for the remission of our sins, to fix the mistakes that you and I have made in our life. That even though God has been perfectly clear in what He expects of us, we have failed. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned. We have missed the mark. And man over the history of time has continually done this. In fact, in Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us that, that all men, save Jesus Christ, have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so when God sent His Son Jesus, His Son in the flesh, God in the flesh that came to this earth and lived, obviously one of the reasons why He came, one of the main reasons why He came, one of the most important reasons why He came was to die upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But there was also another reason why Jesus came. And, and don't let me speak for Him because these are in His own words. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 where Jesus says this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. You see there, Jesus tells us that he came to this earth. As God come in the flesh, he did not come down here so that he could be served. That was not the point and the purpose of that. But rather, he came, he said, to serve others. In serving, what Jesus did was he set an example for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, there Peter, 
He's talking about and he's speaking about the way that we as Christians, as God's holy people, should, should live in this life. And he talks about and he covers many different things. But there in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, he turns his attention to servants. And as he turns his attention to servants, he tells them that how they ought to obey their master. Whether their master is good or whether their master is bad, they still should serve and obey their master in the way that God would expect them to do that. But he talks about there the idea of as being a servant and having a master of sometimes we will suffer in those cases. And certainly we understand that as well. But he tells them there that Jesus set an example in that suffering. But understand that even though in the context there he's looking at the idea of suffering, understand that he's talking about Jesus suffering as a servant. And so here is this example, and Peter tells us about this in 1 Peter 2, that Jesus set an example for you and I. You see, when we read through the Old Testament, we read about people who could not figure out how to be what God wanted them to be, even though God seemed to put it there just as plain as he could over and over again. And so when God sent his son Jesus, when he sent God in the flesh, here was Jesus Christ who would show us what it means to be a servant. Now we have that example now we have God who's come down, who's lived on this earth, who's been here and he's been here in the flesh, and he is showing you and I, here is how you ought to live. Here is how you ought to serve. So that's what our focus is tonight. That Jesus showed us, in fact, how we ought to serve on this earth and in this life. If you got your Bibles again, I told you there, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read here, and I want us to read the first eight verses here. And then I want us to notice some things specifically about Jesus and about his service, some things that hopefully will help us to understand how we can be servants just as Jesus was a servant as well. There in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, beginning in verse 1, therefore, now we have to stop right there because whenever we see this word therefore, and I've always heard this used, when you see that word therefore, you need to stop and look and see what it's there for. What it does is that word therefore, it connects what was just spoken to what's about to be said. So now because of that, let's back up a few verses. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Paul there again writing, Only let your conduct, the way that you act, right, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me as well. So here again, Paul is talking to them about their conduct, the way that they act, the way that they live. He says, let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he tells them there's going to be suffering there. And so he tells them there that they need to make sure that they, they conduct themselves in the proper way, that they stand fast, they have the same mind, they strive together there, and understanding that there's going to be suffering. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, okay, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, when we read Philippians chapter 2 here, Paul tells us and he explains to us this idea of Jesus being a servant. He tells us there that Jesus came to this earth and he came to take on the form of a bondservant. Now, I want us to understand that there are some things that we learn here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 about Jesus, about the example that he set for you and I about being a servant. And I want us in the time that we have together tonight to notice these things that hopefully will help us. We might ask this question, two questions tonight. Number one, who did Jesus serve? Who was it exactly that Jesus came to serve? Who, who, he, who, who did he serve? Because when we look at Jesus and we see who he served, it can help us understand who am I to serve as I'm to be a servant to those around me in this world. So the question is, who did he serve? I would submit to you that first of all, we need to recognize and realize that he did not serve himself. Jesus was not here to serve himself. In fact, we live in a world today where it seems as though that's the mantra. That's, that, that's what everybody lives by. It's you, you serve yourself. You take care of yourself. You make sure that you're good. You take care of you. You worry about you. You serve yourself. Whatever it is that you like, you go after it. That's the postmodern world that we live in. It's right if you think it's right. If you like it and it makes you happy and it makes you feel good, then you go after it. You do just that. But see, Jesus did not come to serve himself. That's not why he was here. And the Bible explains that to us. And certainly we see that even within the context. Because the Bible tells us there, in verse 6, for example, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Your versions may read a little bit different. But what the Bible tells us right there is that Jesus was God. But as he came here, he didn't find that being God was something to be held on to for his own personal gain. He was willing to let that go to come in the form of a bondservant. In other words, he wasn't here to serve himself. It wasn't about him as he came here. It was about being a servant to others around him. And we can learn that as well, that we need to learn to let go. You know, Paul talks about that later in Philippians over in chapter 3 as he kind of reads what we might call in verses 4 through 6 his resume. He talks about all these things that he has in his life and all these things that he could brag and boast about. But then he goes on to say that he counts all of those things but loss. Paul says, I'm willing to let those things go so that I can continue to do what God wants me to do in this life. You see, Jesus, when he came in the flesh did not hold on to the fact that he was deity as though it was something that he was going to use for the benefit and advantages of himself as he was here. He was willing to, to move forward and to be that bondservant and to take on the form there of the bondservant and, and to become in the likeness of men. And so he did not come to serve himself. But then we understand that he also came to serve God. Look at verse 8 again. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of of the cross. Who was he obedient to? God. He was obedient to God. When he came to this earth, he was doing the will of his father. How many times throughout the gospels do we read about Jesus talking about doing the will of his father who was in heaven? Whatever God told him to do, that's what he was going to do. Whatever God told him to say, that's exactly what he was going to say. Because again, it wasn't about him. It was about serving. It was about serving his God, his father in heaven. And so we read about that. We understand that when we see that Jesus served His Father in heaven, you and I understand that we must also be servants of our Father in heaven. 
that we are ones that if we're going to be like Jesus in his pattern of service, that we're going to serve our Father in heaven just as he served his Father in heaven as well. But also notice this. The Bible tells us also that he served his fellow man. Look again in verses 7 and 8. But he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. You see there, Jesus was willing to take on flesh, to become just like you and I. And why is it that Jesus wanted to be just like you and I? So that he could be servant to us. So that he could serve his fellow man, the mankind, as he would come down, and those who were around him. And oftentimes, Jesus did that. We see Jesus serving others, and certainly we see this example that he leaves for us. That when we think about who Christ served, he served not himself, but he served God and he served his fellow man. And we can certainly learn from that example as well. But then we might also ask this question tonight, and that is the how. Well, how did Jesus serve? If we understand that Jesus was one who wasn't serving himself, he was serving his father in heaven, he was serving mankind here upon this earth as he came, the question that we might ask then is, how was he a servant? What kind of servant was he? And how exactly did he serve when he served these people? And there's some things I want us to understand and notice tonight. First of all, I say that we would see from verse 6 that he was someone who served willingly. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. Who being in the form of God, watch this, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now you tell me in, in verse 7 specifically there, where is there a word that shows that Jesus was forced to do what he did? Look again at verse 7 there and look and notice the words that are used. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Okay? Notice the Bible doesn't say that he was, he was there in verse 7, made to be of no reputation or that he was forced to take the form of a bondservant, or that he was forced to come in the likeness of men. But rather, Jesus did all of these things, and he did them willingly. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus there tells us that no one forced him to lay his life down. That when he laid his life down for us, he did it because he wanted to do it, of his own will and of his own account. And so we're reading about someone here, we think about Jesus, and it's someone who serves as this example for us, as being someone, when we think about how Jesus served, he served willingly. He was willing to do all these things. And again, think about this. We're talking about God coming down in the flesh. If anyone would have an excuse and a reason not to be a servant to those on this earth, it would have been God. Because after all, he was the one who created each and every one of us. And we think about the service that we perform and we think about what it takes to be that kind of a servant. My wife and I often kind of kid around, maybe more so me than her, so I probably shouldn't throw her under the bus here. It's probably more me than her. But we kid around sometimes that the reason why we had kids is so they can do things for us and get us stuff, you know. <laughs> kind of that sense of we're the creator and they're the creation, and so therefore they should do this for us and do that for us and all those kinds of things. Here is Jesus, and the Bible tells us in John 1 that everything that was made was made through him. And he came to this earth, and he would have had every right to be able to say, look, I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm your creator, and so you need to do what I tell you to do. But rather, Jesus came and he was a servant. He came willingly and he did those things willingly. But the Bible also tells us here in Philippians chapter 2 that he did what he did humbly. Look again at verses 7 and 8. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I don't know about you, but I've come across some pretty prideful people in this world. Some folks that have a lot of pride in, in, in who they are. And they're the kind of people that, even if they were wrong, probably would never want to admit that they were wrong. Can you imagine humbling yourself so much that when you were being falsely accused of something that you never did, that you would not so much as say a word? That you would go and you would take the punishment, even though you knew that you did not deserve it, even though you knew that you were innocent, that you would be willing to do that, to humble yourself. Think about what Jesus endured when he endured the cross. Because the Bible says he became obedient, even to the point of death, the death of the cross. We think about what Jesus went through and how much humility it must have taken to do all of that. You know, we oftentimes sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, and how true that is. You know, Jesus was even uh, tested, I believe, while he was there on the cross. When one said to him, if you truly are the son of man... <laughs> You know, come down from there. Surely that would, must have been a, a temptation for Jesus to say, to think to himself, you know, I very well could do that if I wanted to. Not only could Jesus have come down off that cross, but he could have dealt with every single person who was there that day and dealt with them, and it would have been right for him to do so. The Bible tells us he humbled himself. He was humble. There are times when you may feel like, even within the church, that you're the person who perhaps maybe should be served rather than to serve. Maybe you've been a member there longer than somebody else. Maybe you've been a Christian for longer. Maybe you serve as a, an elder or a deacon or a minister or whatever the case may be. It's easy for us sometimes, just as the apostles had done, to kind of look at each other and wonder, maybe who's the greatest in the kingdom? But you remember when Jesus said that there were those who asked him who's the greatest, Jesus said the one who's greatest is the one who's last, the one who is servant of all we think about the idea of being a servant, and certainly it takes humility to do such a thing. It takes humility because we live in a world where everyone wants to be the higher up, the highest up they possibly can be. No one wants to be thought of as being the servant, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did. When he served, he not only served willingly, but he served humbly. And then finally, we see that he served ideally. What do we mean when we say he served ideally? You know, when you say something, you say, well, you know, ideally we would like such and such. In other words, in a perfect world, this is exactly what we want. Jesus was the perfect example for you and I in his service. He was exactly what the world needed. That's one of the reasons why he came, was to show us how we ought to live and how we ought to serve. Remember, you can read through the Old Testament. We couldn't seem to figure it out. We couldn't seem to get it right. Even though God had instructed us and he had given us his word, man could not seem to figure out how am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to treat others? And then he sends his son to come in the flesh to show us an example. I'm the kind of person that, you know, you ever get instructions to something, maybe you buy something, you got to put it together. You know, maybe it's the kids and, you know, it's the holidays or it's a birthday and you buy them some gift and the box comes and there's the instructions I'm not the kind of guy that just throws the instructions over to the side and say, I know how to do this because I don't. I'm not going to lie. I don't. But I like, and it helps me, that if there's instructions there, if there's a picture along with it. Not that I can't read because I can, but I like a picture. And the reason why I like a picture is because it shows me how to do it. It shows me what I'm supposed to do. If it tells me what I'm supposed to do, sometimes I look at that and I think to myself, I don't know exactly what that's saying there. But when I see a picture of it, I can say to myself, now I understand, now I see. See, that's what Jesus served for you and I. He was a picture, so to speak. 
He showed us how we ought to live. He showed us how we ought to serve. And we see that there. And in verse 5 again, look at what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here he was, and he had this mind. And Paul's saying, let that be an example to you. Jesus came to be an example to show us how we ought to live our lives. Flip your Bibles over to John chapter 13. John, the 13th chapter. You know the scene here where we find Jesus. We find the apostles here. We're not far from Jesus' death. And he's spending this time with them. It's towards the end. And as Jesus does so, you might ask yourself, if I was with the people that I loved, cared about, maybe even the people that I would, had spent several years now training to do some great and wonderful things in this world, if I knew that this was one of the last times I was going to really get to sit down and talk to them, what would I say to them? What would be the last things that I would say that I would do? Notice what Jesus does in John chapter 13. We know how the beginning goes there. They were, they were there and they were in this, this room and it was time for them to sit and and for supper there, you can look there at verse 1, John chapter 13. Now before the feast, the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God, and he was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, he took a towel, and he girded himself, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You might imagine as Jesus is doing this, the apostles are looking around and thinking to themselves, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? And probably maybe they didn't want to, you know, step in there and stop him because maybe they didn't know. Maybe there was something different that was going to happen here. But, but it happens. He begins to wash their feet. In verse 6, it says, And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? We look at Peter here and we think, well, Peter, yeah, and that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing, Peter. Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. I don't think Peter was trying to be rude here, but Peter was trying to maybe even himself be a little bit humble and saying, Lord, you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, I know who you are. I've confessed who you are and I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And you shouldn't be doing this. But Jesus tells him there, if I do not wash, you have no part with me. But watch verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, Lord, if you're going to wash me, then wash the whole thing. I'm dirty all over, Lord. <laughs> Give me everything you got. That was Peter, wasn't it? But Jesus said to him in verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, Jesus, when we read about him in the Bible, we read what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Paul didn't just tell us about who Jesus was, but Jesus showed us who he was and what he was all about. 
and Jesus in the last hours that he would spend with his apostles here, this is the lesson that he leaves with them, that they should follow his example in serving others. What a great example that Jesus left for us. What a wonderful example that we can look at to see him, God come in the flesh to show us how we ought to serve others in this life. And I pray that as we think about these things, that we'll take, this, to take them with us. And just as Jesus ended there in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. May we not just simply be hearers of the word. May we be doers of the word when it comes to following after Jesus and his example of service for us. Would you bow with me and pray? Our God and our Father, we're so thankful to you for another beautiful day that you blessed us with. Father, for all the many blessings that you give us each and every day, not just the physical blessings, Father, but the spiritual blessings that we enjoy in your Son, Christ Jesus. Father, we're thankful for his life, and we're thankful for his example of service to us, that we might be able to read these things about him in your word, and that we might be able to follow after his example of service. Father, we pray that tonight as we look at these things, as we study together on the idea and the topic of being servants, that we would consider these words that we hear tonight from your word. On all these lessons tonight, Father, from Brother A.C. who will follow, Brother David who comes after him, that we'll listen, Father, not just attentively and not just listen to the things that are said, but may we be doers of the word tonight. May we go out and look to serve others in this life. And Father, most especially following the example of your son Jesus and the one that he set for us. Again, Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his death on the cross for our sins. We ask all this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.